0: This is the Greater Lafayette Story Exchange Podcast, a community space for real people to share real stories from their lives as we learn from each other, laugh with each other, console one another, and grow closer together. Each week, storytellers from the community tell stories on a given theme, and you have the privilege of hearing some today. This is part one of the series, All in the Family, All right, we're going to hear first from Brad Ruff.
1: Where are you, Brad? Okay. Uh, My name is Brad Ruff, and uh, I'm a teacher somewhere uh, at D.C. And uh, my story is basically about my dad. And uh, the ticket that I wrote earlier, I don't know how many people can relate to this, but I wrote down loving flatulence. And um, my father was kind of one of those pull-my-finger kind of guys. So when I say loving flatulence, I mean that. And um, surprisingly enough, my father was a steelworker. My mom was a schoolteacher, as I choke up in front of you folks. And my dad was the one that got me interested in science. And everybody goes, well, shouldn't your mom have gotten you interested in science? And it was actually my dad... And my dad got me interested in science through uh, stage magic and sleight of hand. And my father was the person that took me to my first magic shop and had me take apart magic tricks and think, uh, well, how do you do this? Why do it this way? And a lot of people go, well, why would a steel worker have anything to do with science? Or why would farming have anything to do with science? So my father, in a very indirect way, taught me to have a lot of respect for other people. And he didn't do it directly, but he taught me how to love people and, and keep an open mind. And he, and he, kind of, he gave me the philosophy um, of you have to be there for people, as my mom did as well, since we're talking about family. And one of the perspectives that I take... as uh, as a teacher and somebody who was really into family and and was blessed, uh, was my parents taught me that I really need to be a tree for my students. And a lot of people say, what does that mean? And I say, well, as a tree, some dogs come up and they pee on you. And some dogs come up and they bark at you. And some dogs come up and they like to hang out underneath the shade. But your job as an educator is still to be a tree. And uh, I think I miss both my parents. Um, And like I said, I'm very grateful. Uh, I was raised in Ohio. Uh, I'm an Indians fan. Boo, hiss, boo, hiss, boo, hiss. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, that's not a political diatribe. Uh, I still blame God for that (laughs) loss, for that rain delay. Um, But uh, when you speak to family, and uh, I wish I could have been there Uh, not to choke people up. I wish I could have been there that the day that my dad passed, he was with my nephew, and they were watching, talking about basketball, they were watching a Cavs game. And my dad was eating popcorn with my oldest nephew, and they were doing the... My dad would go, (laughs) like this when he'd laugh. He was a pull-your-finger kind of guy. And uh, I envy my oldest nephew a lot because he had the opportunity to spend his evening with uh, his grandfather, my father, on the last night he was on this earth. And uh, I was very blessed. I don't have anything else to say other than thanks.
0: Okay, our next speaker for the night is going to be Adam Hudson. Come on up, Adam.
2: Hello, my name is Adam Hudson, and I'm going to tell you a story called Grandma's Den of Sin. This is Grandma's Den of Sin. Yes. So, a little bit about me. I grew up in uh, northern lower Michigan. It's a town where literally nothing happens. And when something happens, it's on the record books. Like, they bring out, like, the stone tablets and they chisel it in, and it's there for history. Uh, My high school graduating class was 30 people, no joke, and we were one of the larger classes. So when you went walking through the town, you waved at everybody and the town waved back at you. Like, You knew the entire high school, you knew most of the middle school, probably most of the elementary school. My story starts with my grandmother. Her cousins came over from Sweden. Uh, we'll call them Annika and Helga because I honestly do not remember their names because I've only met them two times. But certain, certain images of them are, are burned into my memory, and, and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. So, so uh, Annika and Helga come, and it's a nice little northern Michigan town, and Grandma speaks Swedish because she's from Sweden. None of the rest of the family there speaks Swedish. So if something happens to my 70-year-old grandmother, we will have very few methods of communication. This was before cell phones and translators. Like, we could probably look up a book and just, like, point to words. So uh, as it happens, my grandmother was down eating a senior meal at kind of the town hall center with everybody else. And Annika and Helga were, were, were going to stay at home and it was really a very short walk from my grandmother's house to Town Hall. So not a big deal, no harm, no foul. They're gonna stay there, they're just gonna hang out and do what Swedish ladies do, Um, which we're gonna find out. Uh, So I am down there, it's in the summer, and uh, like any cool 11th grade boy, I'm hanging out with my grandmother and my mom, eating lunch with the other seniors in the senior center portion of town hall. <laughs> Super cool. Uh, so the phone starts ringing off the hook and my mother goes to answer it. And it turns out it is, it is our local preacher the town. And he is yelling and my mother has to calm him down and what she's getting out of him is there are wild women who are throwing a party at your grandmother's house pause and when he tried to approach them they were speaking in tongues so he retreated (laughs) this is all very strange but I think you know partially where this is going but I guarantee you you don't know all of where this is going but let's go there together shall we so we walk up, and as, as we're walking up to the house, uh, there are cars that are coming around the corner, because grandma lived on a corner, and horns are honking. There are people who are like, yeah, there's, there's guys that are you know, pumping their fists and everything like that, like, what's going on? It's my grandma's house and it's her two cousins from Sweden. What could possibly be going on? So we get up to their front porch, and Annika and Helga decide to do some laundry while they were there. And uh, that laundry was up on the drying line, and the tops of their own persons were Sam's laundry. <laughs> we, had, we had two topless, late 60s-year-old women who were sitting on the corner of our very small town, uh, very well-endowed ladies, congratulations, <laughs> that's good genetics. Uh, but it's going to cause a little disturbance. And it's going to cause even more disturbance when the local preacher and his wife are walking by on a nice little afternoon stroll, and these ladies are just waving and talking in not the English language. Um, And the preacher is, like, covering the wife's eyes and, like, yelling at them and yelling at them to put their clothes back on. They have no idea what he's saying because he doesn't speak Swedish and they don't speak very much good English. So we get up there and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And my mom knows, but she doesn't have the Swedish to tell anyone what's going on. And my grandmother gets an idea what's going on. She's she Swedish. She's at her cousin's. Her cousin's Swedish back. And she starts, my grandmother starts laughing so hard she is peeing her pants, like, on her front lawn. So it's my grandmother, who has now peed her pants on her front lawn, and my two topless great aunts. And, and we're going to wrap this story up real quick. So, so that's what it was. So after it, my grandmother goes in bouts of laughter and finally gets up enough, like, breath, and not laughter to Swedish enough to be like, hey, let's, let's go inside and I have some spare clothes you know, for you to put on, and this is not a thing that happens in you know, northern, lower Michigan. So uh, that's how my uh, grandmother's house, just for one short afternoon, got the nickname the Den of Sin. Thank you.
0: Thank you for sharing. It's a heartwarming tale of family. And I drew myself. Okay. A few years ago, my, we, me and my wife, we bought a, a house from around, built in around 1900, and I'm um, thinking, what's the worst that could go wrong? Um, a friend of mine was like, you can either buy a new house, like a house with character, or a house with stuff that works. And we went for the house with character, because it was cheaper. And um, so where my family gets involved is uh, my my dad and, and my wife's dad, they're both lifers in the renovation game. And uh, they both kind of started playing off each other. Like one said, you need to fix up this section of the house. And the other said, no, it's irredeemable. Just knock it down and start again. And the other one said, well, if you're starting again, you may as well build a second story because building up is way cheaper than building out. And then the other one jumped in and was like, well, you're going to need a two car garage. And it was like, well, you want to build above that two car garage because otherwise you're wasting square footage. And uh, needless to say, it turned into a, an over 2000 square foot addition, which is like another house building onto the house. And um, my dad has all these connections, all these family friends. So he's like, hey, I got this guy. He can do it for, like, the family and friends rate. We're going to build this thing. We're going to frame it. You will be amazed with the speed at at which it goes up. And we were amazed, but not in the direction my dad was thinking. Because he was like, three days tops. And it was like six months. So (laughs) we found out later that this framer was a contractor who was currently between jobs as a meth dealer. So he was, like, in the... That's true. And he was kind of between gigs. Um, So he was building our house kind of along the way, and um, kind of picking up the slack. My dad would come a lot, I mean he took a lot of vacation days from his actual job to come and work on our house. And I just have, like, these these images burned in my mind of him doing these crazy things, like, you know, under the crawl space with dust all over his face and cockroaches crawling all over him just trying to get this done. Um, and growing up, my family was pretty poor. We had six of us kids, and um, it was pretty, pretty wild times. Um, we had some years on welfare, and just my parents didn't have a lot to give us. And um, so I guess what I appreciate um, from from this whole house experience has been knowing that what my parents didn't have to give me financially, they still were striving to give me a house that would be worth something eventually. We're not quite there yet. We're hoping it will be worth something eventually, um, but he also loaned it in uh, friendships, like another guy he brought um, to our house. We ended up just calling him a drunk Rick because he was another friend of the family that enjoyed booze, which we didn't know about until uh, one day, weeks after he had been on the job site, I went to pour myself a drink, and I was like, the liquor cabinet, everything is empty. Like, these bottles I've collected on travels for, like, years. Every single one was, like, down to a puddle. And I look outside, and there's, you know, there's drunk Rick, and he was was on a piece of indoor scaffolding with a stepladder on top of the indoor scaffolding, leaning against the house. And I kid you not, he was working on it, and you hear a this is going to hurt, and you look over and (laughs) boom. That's not how scaffolding's supposed to work. So our job site has never been OSHA approved, but we're in Delphi, so there are no inspectors. Nobody cares. Um, All right, so anyway, so the the moral of the story is that I think um, what my dad has shown me, um, both through (laughs) connecting me to colorful characters, um, but also through giving of his own time, is that we're ultimately living with the most meaning when we're sacrificing our own time and sacrificing ourselves for those we love. And so I hope that with my own family, uh, I can do the same. And I hope with yours, you also do the same. Thank you. I promise, just the name, it's in my hand. We're going to hear from Mary Harford. All right, Mary.
3: All right, hi. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to talk today about my dad. And something you need to know about him from the get-go is um, he's a very godly man, which is great uh, for him. And he has six daughters. So he's been dealing with estrogen for pretty much his entire life, um, except for the fact that he had five or he had four brothers growing up, so he was only in a boy home, and then he went only to a girl home. My parents tried really hard for a boy. It never happened. So um, when I was much, much younger, we had a really great relationship because I was his first child. I'm the oldest. And um, he calls me his number one daughter, which is cute, but I know secretly I'm his favorite. Um, LAUGHTER so, um, that was really great. Growing up, he really invested a lot in um, myself and my sisters. and he was he's a teacher. so he's very intelligent and that was wonderful. Um, But as I went into my teenage years, I experienced a side of my dad that I didn't necessarily understand or appreciate. And uh, we had a lot of fights. He definitely deals with anger, as do I. I think I inherited that from him. And um, it was really, really tough for a lot of years. Um, He for as much as he has tried still doesn't understand women very well which honestly you had a really great opportunity guy like come on like six (laughs) girls you could have definitely like figured some stuff out but um, he's very mind focused not so much so like there's the brain and then there's the heart so he has very intellectual awesome thoughts but he doesn't necessarily connect them into his um, into his heart so that was something that I've struggled with with him for a long time And um, as I became older and started forming my own thoughts, they did not agree with his. And so because of that, we have struggled in our relationship for a long time. Um, But the main reason that I wanted to talk about this is um, regardless of all of the struggles that we've had and regardless of all the issues that we've had, uh, recently my father sent me an email. And this email, which is funny because we both live in Lafayette, so he could have probably just told me this to to my face, but like... Whatever. Um, So he emailed me, and the title of the email was A Father's Heart. And my dad is kind of a defensive guy. So when I opened the email, I was shocked because he basically apologized for everything that he had ever wronged me with and the fact that he really wants to work on all of these things. And I cried. I cried so much because I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. He didn't accuse me of anything. He just told me, like, I'm sorry for the ways I failed you, and I want to show how I believe that God is to you because that was a huge issue with us, like, growing up. I'm not sure where my face stands right now, but my parents are both conservative Christians. So um, the fact is that he was basically like, I'm sorry, I feel like the reason that you don't necessarily know what's going on with you is because I showed you a wrong view of God. And I was like, that may or may not be true, but I appreciate you so, so, so much for saying that because that was a huge issue with me growing up was he said... This is God, and then he showed me an example that wasn't necessarily always godlike, and so because of that, um, he wrote me this email, and I cried and I cried and I cried, and. Um He's 65 also. He's an old guy. So I'm kind of worried that he's going to die soon. And so the fact that he sent me this email just basically opened my eyes to the fact that my father and I can have a restorative relationship, and it can be amazing. And so I'm just telling you this story because no matter what happens in your life, um, if your relationship with your parent is shitty or your kid or whatever, you can find... Something to grasp onto, you can restore that because that's what I'm hoping is going to happen for me and my dad because he's an amazing person. And through it all, he reached out to me and he took blame for things. And that was honestly the most beautiful thing that's ever happened in our relationship. So I just want to encourage you uh, wherever you're at, just have hope because it can happen.
0: Yeah, forgiveness is powerful, and um, if these get published, Mary, we'll edit out the part where you to- said that he was really old, we'll- <laughs> so you can keep your favorite status. <laughs> Next up, we're going to hear from Nilu.
4: In the Hindu religion, Vishnu is the sustainer of things and the maintainer. So when you create something, you need maintenance and sustenance. So I'm gonna tell you about my son. And he was born four years ago. And my daughter was a year and a half. And it was just me and my daughter, just the two of us. And when um, my son came into our lives, the three of us would have conversations. You know, I would put my daughter in a stroller and we would go on walks and she would say, birdie, birdie, tweet, 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 doggy, doggy, woof! And I would talk to my son. And I would say, my darling boy, the three of us, it's just gonna be the three of us. You have to, we have to all work together because it's just the three of us. And he would say, oh mommy, I'm going to be a good boy, and I'm going to take care of my sister, and I'm going to take care of you. And I would say, oh my darling, I'm the mother, it's for me to take care of you. And you know, a few weeks went by, and three months, and I went to see my, um, my midwife at IU, and Sharon, Sharon Smith, if any of you know her. And uh, she wasn't there. There was a new midwife there. And she, you know, she went to hear for the heartbeat. And uh, there was no heartbeat. And she said, oh, you know, this happens sometimes. So we'll just, we'll set you up for an appointment next week. And I said, oh, absolutely, yes, that's what's going on. And she said, well, you know, it's just protocol. So I just, protocol, I just want to let you know that sometimes when there's not a heartbeat, you know, it could be that um, maybe, maybe the, Baby didn't make it. I'm not saying that that's what's going on, but, um, you know, we'll just come in next week. And, you know, she just didn't have the heart. She didn't have the heart. And um, so I went home, and oh, and she stopped me and said, protocol, um, you may, you know, you may you may have a miscarriage, but I'm not sure. So it's a Friday, and um, I was living in Cricket Steinweg's home who's actually, her private practice was here for 20 years and um, and i was living in her home because you know she, i felt i was a single mom and i needed to be safe i lived in her beautiful basement and but i was ready with this child i was ready for our own home and my parents bought us a home uh, helped buy us a home and so it was friday and i'm with a patient and i feel a gush of something and she's a mom of 3 and i said i feel a gush i don't know i got to go to the bathroom she said i'm coming with you and there was blood everywhere And I called Cricket and I said, you have to get Minakshi because I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And I went, I have to drive myself to the ER and I got myself to the ER. And um, I I didn't weep a tear, but it's four years and I fall to the floor and I weep. And it's because my daughter is going to kindergarten and we have a home and we're financially secure and I can weep. And I say to my son, I miss you. (laughs) But you know, in India, there's a Ganga River and it's holy. You don't take the whole river home with you. You just take a handful and you put it in a copper uh, vessel and you keep it with you. And so you have part of the holy river. So I had three months or less, I don't really know. But I have this holy river with me. And um, I want to sing the lullaby that I sing to my son for you. To che yad I have memorized you like beautiful verses. And I think of you in this moment because you are sacred knowledge. And I repeat your name, Vishnu, Vishnu, Vishnu. And I repeat your name because it's a holy prayer.
0: so much for listening and being part of the community. We'd love to see you and hear your story at the next Greater Lafayette Story Exchange event. Check our Facebook page for dates and times.